What's up, y'all, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Neo Vintage Podcast. I'm Jabro, and I'm here with... Steve, hope everyone's doing really well out there. And for y'all who have never seen the show before, we're just two guys that like to talk over the biggest stories in gaming, but we always like to start with what we've been playing. So, Steve, what you been playing? Yeah, I've uh, stepped a little back into some uh, old favorites here. Nice. Uh, obviously, Cyberpunk. I-, I mentioned last time that I was you know, dabbling in Cyberpunk, checking out some of this new updates. Uh, continued on with the 2.0 update and a little bit of the Liberty City. Uh, I always call it Liberty City. <laughs> Phantom Liberty oh, yeah. DLC. Um, and I've, I've really, really enjoyed this game. And I'm really obviously liking it a whole lot more now that the game... Stable, you know, is way more stable. I know we had a pretty unique experience with it originally that we were just lucky enough. But playing the game in what I think it's its true form with the new 2.0 update just makes a whole lot more sense. I see the vision; it clicks a lot better. Uh, them including things that we saw in the anime, the Netflix anime Edge Runners, um, adding a few features from that makes me see that this game now leans slightly more into that sort of uh, role-playing mechanics. I see a lot of that sort of trade-offs. If you want some of the new cyber equipment, you have to worry about um, a certain meter. If you get too much cyber equipment and your meter fills up, it causes all these negative effects. So it's really interesting to see what it is. I just wish there was a world, a timeline, that this game launched in the state it's in now because you're looking at... Uh, a pretty amazing game, if not someone's top top game ever. Like it, it's in a discussion for me in one of my favorite games of almost of all time. It would probably be pretty low on that list, depending on what I'm looking at. But I can't, I can't short staff how much fun I'm having with it. It's the main and one reason I've sort of put down Starfield. Um, I, I, I don't have much else to say about Starfield because shortly after we discussed last time. Maybe uh, two days later, I, I tried playing more Starfield, and I feel like the sort of new sheen, a new game came out, sort of wore off on me, and a lot of these issues came up. And Cyberpunk was there to to take me on, and it's just a, such an um, interesting, amazing game, and I always forgot about that. And just how much this 2.0 update really changed uh, just a few mechanical things, being able to shoot while in vehicles, uh, a lot of other things they've added where you can now while you're sliding you can reload you can shoot it's just these little sort of moment fixes that just were kind of holding the game back or finally letting it breathe i haven't played story-wise too too much more in the phantom liberty section just because i I do like the way it's integrated it kind of just happens at the same time the game's happening story-wise i've gotten the premise i see what it's supposed to have me do i don't know it hasn't had me do anything that you don't do in the normal game yet, so I can't speak to the value of that. I think Idris Elba does really well. I think his voice acting's really superb. Um, and just in a world that we lately have had uh, multiple celebrities sort of jumping into the voice acting game and uh, to different to different you know successes and not, and that's something we I'll bring up in oh, my God. next game I'm playing. Uh, we obviously know what I'm talking about, but. Yeah, Cyberpunk, I have to say, what an amazing game. I'm having a great time with it. And I'm just really excited to see what this game, story-wise, has to offer. And I know it adds a new ending to the game. So I haven't beaten the game on this new playthrough yet. So I'm interested to see if I can continue what I've done in Phantom Liberty to get this new ending. um, And what that may mean for the future. But overall, I just really still love this game. I mean, 
I've I thought I would just dabble in and I've clocked in like 32 hours or something like that um, without the deal the actual DLC so really excited for that uh, the other thing I alluded to uh, obviously we've been playing Mortal, I've been playing Mortal Kombat 1 I know you have as well Mortal Kombat 1 uh, fully launched comes has come out and we've uh, spent a lot of time I spent a lot of time with it uh, story wise uh, gameplay wise I'd like to say online wise but the servers have been pretty pretty dog water so it, it's been hard <laughs> hard to do but Mortal Kombat has come out uh, a re uh, it's a reboot slash sequel as we discussed when the game was being announced and I really really enjoy this I, I really like the liberties they've taken on changing a few of these story beats uh, having characters completely omitted uh, re-emitted completely changed of who they are and it's such a smart way to do multiverse slash reboots and but also continuing a successing timeline um i think it's just really fun i think i've never been a huge johnny cage fan i think this johnny cage is probably the best i would say is the best iteration of him uh, he's funny he's quirky and i think his moveset actually really works the story wise obviously the game is just it is Mortal Kombat, so you know again you have people turning to lizards, people whose powers are screaming, people who turn off fire and shoot ice. <laughs> so it, thematically, it's kind of nuts. I think this engine that they're using and what they were able to pull out. I'm playing on PS5 with the voice acting and the voice animation and the face animations are superb. I don't know how they did that, um, which is why I was always confused why the game was coming to Switch. Um, and you know, there's a couple critiques. Not everyone's voice like acting hits. Not to harp on it too much, uh, but I think it's general knowledge now. Megan Fox definitely phoned in her voice acting. Uh, her character just—it's—it's it's just weird because they made that character straight up her face. Um, and it's kind of jarring when, not to get spoiler, not to get into the spoilers of the story, but there's moments where there's a lot of people on screen, um, and then you just have Megan Fox sprinkled in the audience and it's just with really wings. It, with wings it's very weird it's a, it's a little weird and in a game like cyberpunk like we were talking it kind of makes sense because everyone looks that way uh <laughs> but you know then you have a game like this that everyone is unique and their own person and then you just have a celebrity in there but the gameplay is really fun it's a big reminiscent i would say it's definitely a cross of what mortal kombat 9 and mortal kombat x did i know people weren't were, had mixed feelings on where our 11 went i enjoyed 11 a lot and i think as someone who was in that boat mortal kombat 1 kind of hits a mix of all three that makes it a, very unique in its own way the way the whole cameo system works i'm not super fond of it but i do understand it it's not super intrusive as a 3v3 fighter or anything like that i i do know that i am never been very good at in any game sort of air comboing air combat in any sense um so when a game is so integrated with that i can't do any of that i see the i do i do have opponents that will do it to me and i'm like that's cool i don't have that skill to do that input it's specifically in mortal kombat um but all in all i think it's a very solid fighter it's crazy to think that we got you know street fighter 6 mortal kombat 1 and in a few months a, a new tekken also quickly so all these games are going to be alive and thriving at the same time so it's it's very very exciting uh, and the last thing not just harp on too long the last thing i've jumped back into uh, sonic frontiers has gotten its free update the final horizons uh free dlc free story dlc and i really want to like this more than i do i think 
I think they took some feedback that people were complaining um, about worries and stuff. You get to play as the other characters, you get to play as Amy, Tails, and Knuckles, and I think for the most part they control almost identical to Sonic, but they all have a sort of gimmick. Knuckles obviously has the glide ability, but the way they animated his glide ability is you have this slow animation before you glide, and then the controls are terrible. He, he flies like he's sludging through oil in the air. Um, I haven't played too much of it just because I have been putting my time in Mortal Kombat and Cyberpunk. I do want to sit a little bit, sit a little bit more time with the DLC to see what it has to offer. Because uh, right now it's been recycled map, recycled puzzles, uh, recycled animations, recycled. It's a lot of just recycled stuff. Again, it's a completely free update, uh, so I can't harp on it too much. It's not like I dropped thirty bucks on this or anything like that. It, it's just it. It may just be a li too little too late in a sense. I, I don't know what else it has to offer. But I I'm also just not in the mindset to play more Sonic Frontiers. Um, especially when I saw that there's no more trophies added to it. It's kind of a letdown. Because um, <laughs> what's the point? Um, but all in all, uh, I I've kind of been playing a little bit of everything. Juggling stuff. Uh, but everything's hitting its right notes for me right now. Um, so what have uh, you been up to? Sure. So I've been playing a lot of the same games, um, one of which I was about to start, but I haven't gotten around to just because of time constraints. So that's Resident Evil. So I'll get to that at some point, um, the little Ada mm -hmm. Wong DLC, which um, that's right. I mean, speaking of Ada Wong and her voice actors, let me just go to Mortal Kombat real quick. Mm. Um, so I beat story mode last night. Loved it. Okay. Had a blast. Love this game. Feels good. What I like about it is how weighty it is. It, it, and I think... Uh, Mortal Kombat titles have kind of ebbed and flowed in terms of the less so the speed and, and obviously nothing as far as like button combos and stuff like that or but more so like the weightiness of them some of them are heavier mm -hmm. than others and I love the weight of this one um, where you just really feel that impact for this one I love the the visual aesthetic the, I mean it's just beautiful graphics I love the incorporation of HDR in there how bright and vibrant this game is um, compared yeah. to a lot of the previous entries um, I, I just love, especially like, you know, I was big into 10, and that 10 is a much darker, just visual game. Um, and so seeing this one so bright, it actually really works for me. And what I like about it is, yeah, it's like a reboot, but obviously, if you understand the, the Mortal Kombat timeline system, it, it, everything's still in continuity, kind of. Like, it all kind of mm -hmm. happened. It just, it, it informs, you know, Liu Kang's position at the beginning of this. But I feel like this is the first game that maybe spent enough time on the timeline stuff to make it really click for me because I was always very confused, not confused, is when all that Chronica stuff was happening, I just had trouble mm -hmm. fully comprehending what exactly was happening here. Um, and so this was the first one that I think made it all kind of fit together better for me, which definitely motivates me to go back. I don't think I'm going all the way back, but certainly what a, a 2011 Mortal Kombat, the, the reboot, Yep, MK9. Well, everyone refers to it MK9, MK9. But yeah, MK MK2011. Okay, so that one I play I think I'm going to go back to that and play through the story modes from that point onward so I can see the second timeline with the context of like how it works now that I understand. Mm -hmm. Um so I I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I don't know if I can binge a, a fighting game um story like that i've never done yeah. that before so we'll see yeah, i mean it has a very fixed kind of gameplay style so um and you know fatigue can always set in so i'm gonna give it a try to that i'm gonna hunt down a copy of that and probably play it on my xbox or something like that but 
that's probably going to be my next place to go in the next hole that I get. I mean, I'm anticipating maybe tail end of this year, holiday season, I might have some, um, some time. So I'm going to give that a shot. So yeah, Mortal Kombat 1's been a blast. I've been sprinkling in Starfield here and there. Mm-hmm. As other things have come out, it's become a lot harder for me to play Starfield because I didn't love it to begin with, I think. I wanted to play it because, you know, it's like a big moment for gaming. It's a big moment for Xbox. It's, I mean, a Bethesda game, so I wanted to play it. And there's certainly things I liked about it, but overall, my moment-to-moment was just a little boring for me. And so with all the new things that came out that I just find a lot more fun, it's a little bit harder for me to motivate myself to play it um, for really long chunks. So I, I play it mm-hmm. here and there. I'm making progress in the game. It's cool. Like, there are some interesting threads that they're introducing. I'm still having a lot of problems with the characters, specifically. I don't... There's this new companion I like that she's alright, but for the most part, I don't really like anyone. They're all pretty stale to me. So that's kind of unfortunate. I think if if I was more into the characters, that could totally sell it for me a lot better. But it's not really doing it for me. Uh, so, yeah, Starfield, not a lot of time there. I've been playing Lies of P as much as I can. Uh, I love mm, it. It's okay. so good. But, it, I mean, it's it's a Souls-like game, so naturally if you hit a wall, you hit a wall, and then I just got to bang it out. But the good thing is, uh, what I will say about it, is this is the closest I've seen to a Soulsborne game come out that is actually that actually feels like Bloodborne, specifically Bloodborne. Because, um, you know, FromSoft does lots of different styles of games, and, like, genre-wise, obviously, Elden Ring, Sekiro... Bloodborne. All these are the same genre, mm-hmm. but they don't feel the same, even though it's the same developer. What I like about Liza P is it feels like Bloodborne. Now, you can tell it's not a FromSoft game. There's a level of depth that they incorporate into the worlds, which I, I forget. Uh, apologies. I don't know the developer of Liza P, but they do a very good job for not FromSoft. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But the, so, yeah, the game is just amazingly made. Uh, the world is really interesting. It just plays really nice. Uh, there is a level of depth that's missing there. Some of the hit marker tech is not, like, perfect. You know what I mean? I definitely get clipped at times where it's not, like, frame perfect the way that FromSoft games are. So there are small differences you might notice. But overall, I'm really liking it. I'm, I'm on a boss right now that I'm having a little difficulty with. But um, the good thing is it, they, they have very similar systems. So if you understand Dark Souls and Bloodborne, then you'll know how to play this for the most part. And I found the leveling system to be pretty responsive and pretty fair. Um, I don't bump into too many BS situations, you know what I mean? Where you're just like, oh, come on. Like, for the most part, like, they're fair. They um, open up the world in very smart ways so that you kind of bump into challenges that you'll, you'll probably lose a couple times. But for the most part, everything I bumped into, you're eventually able to, like, grind out for the most part. I haven't hit, like, an insane wall. Like, even the boss that I'm on right now, I'm at the point where I'm getting him down to like, you know, 25%. So it's not like I'm so far beyond from being able to beat him. So yeah, overall, Lies of P, very recommended. It's on Game Pass right now. So anybody who has Game Pass can play it at any point. But yeah, amazing game. And then lastly, yeah, I've also been playing Cyberpunk uh, Phantom Liberty. I don't think I'm as far as you uh, because I haven't seen Idris's character yet. Okay. I'm, I'm maybe an hour and a half in, maybe. I scavenge a lot. So The, the, the beginning of that specific section is uh is a lot longer than i thought yeah way longer it, it, it's taken which which i can appreciate like i i mean this is not a cheap dlc this was like 30 bucks so that is is not an insignificant number so i was hoping i got like my money's worth for it and so far i'm pretty happy with it the only 
well one thing i like how theatrical it is like it's very cinematic and which is a stark contrast from a lot not all of what regular cyberpunk was because it definitely has its moments especially like that car chase stuff that was unfortunately like super broken in the original run but um it has its moments like that and i love the premise of it and the president's really cool and like there's cool things about it i don't love dogtown as just a set piece quite yet it's the the moments where it kind of opens up and you can kind of like look around i haven't loved it i understand like it's supposed to be like a dump so so yeah. it's not like an it, it, it's way more mad max is not the right word because it's more just like dilapidated abandoned city more so because dog <laughs> there is a desert portion that is literally mad max but um the or the badlands so but yeah dogtown's not my favorite but i don't think i've explored it all anyways so i can't fully judge that area of the map quite yet but i do like how much of a journey it was to even get into it because i think it uh, it offers that level of verticality that i think cd project red was talking about when they announced mm -hmm. cyberpunk i don't know if you remember but they okay. would they kept talking about the idea that it wasn't as like big like wide as like witcher's world but it was way deeper there was way more verticality and then the game came out and there was like very very little verticality um and things like this fulfill that promise i think that they were making where you're going through underground tubes and there's so much paths and stuff like that and you're going down and deeper and deeper and then you finally mm -hmm. arrive to this other area that it really is just kind of a siphoned off fenced off area of the city like you're you're in you're still in the, the main night city but mm -hmm. to get there is very creative so i can appreciate that it adds some verticality there i don't think outside the context of that one dlc moment you could probably explore all that again i don't i don't know maybe you could you could backtrack your way through that i suppose all the elevators and all that probably still work so you could probably go through that if you wanted to but overall yeah i, I like it i'm i don't know how long this dlc is so hopefully if i can get you know five six hours out of it i'd be pretty content because at the production quality that i've seen so far i think i'm i'm feeling like they they've realized some of the vision that they had initially but i'm curious to see what when it's all said and done what my thoughts are about this addition to the map because so far i probably still prefer regular night city that mm -hmm. to anything that dogtown has kind of introduced yet but uh, yeah that's everything i've played it's it's pretty much just those right. four games and then mario kart but i don't really report on that because <laughs> i play that pretty periodically yeah to be honest with you so no very yeah very very true <laughs> yeah because they have these i think that we're waiting on the final wave right now which low-key low-key also people are sleeping on the fact that they're adding characters to mortal uh to uh mario kart which is like what people don't yeah, talk about that the final dlc i think and i think we discussed when we talked about the last nintendo direct i think we're getting diddy kong fan favorite um i think funky kong too funky kong too like yeah it's it's the tropical yeah uh what is it not tropical freeze is it it's that whole crew basically yeah the whatever the, that we crew yeah. is but mm -hmm. um that yeah that's kind of exciting that they're actually adding characters because not and then not the I, I wish they would just freaking add zelda or something like that but <laughs> that's fine uh yeah. i'll take i'll take more kongs i suppose but yeah no it did it, 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 as someone who plays every single wave as they come out there's amazing mm -hmm. value that I'm getting. Like, that's the one reason why I even still have Nintendo Switch Online. Like, I, d I would otherwise get rid of it, but then I'd have to buy the DLC piecemeal, and I don't want to do that. So yep. that, that's that been a tremendous value for me. I mean, they're adding 
multiple courses every time there's a new wave a lot of them are from mario kart tour specifically which is a game that i don't play because i don't like the phone controls so it's allowed me to experience otherwise pretty solid maps um in the proper form factor so if anybody's looking for a reason to go back if you haven't touched it in a while you'll probably have over a dozen new maps to, to go on so i think or tracks so i think you'll you'll get a kick out of that yeah i do i do have a couple left uh, that i haven't done yet so i do i do need to get back to that yeah you're sleeping on that yeah, but uh, we got some huge stories this week. Let's get mm-hmm. into the big one that everybody's been talking about. There have been major Microsoft leaks, so this is by Taylor Lyles over there at IGN. But this week, several unredacted, highly confidential documents from Microsoft began appearing online. And apparently these documents were part of Microsoft's legal case against a U.S. regulator, the Federal Trade Com- Commission, or the FTC. And so this is some of what was leaked so we'll just go one by one and give our thoughts because each one is kind of a story in and of itself. Um, the first one, Elder Scrolls Six, is an Xbox console exclusive. Now, this is one that they've been very cagey about. They haven't. It's been something that people have been concerned about. What exclusivity looks like in relation to acquisitions is always going to be a question, especially when it relates to like Microsoft. And so the big one was how is Elder Scrolls Six was going to be impacted i don't i can't remember your answer i said pretty concretely i didn't think it was going to be an exclusive because if you take their other numbers we know that they are pretty dwarfed by playstation in terms of sales at this point and so i didn't think they would voluntarily shoot themselves in the foot however on this other hand obviously elder scrolls is a draw enough that that could be the boost that not they Mm -hmm. need to they certainly won't match playstation but it will certainly boost them um what are your thoughts about this yeah, I, I think I was always very half and half. Like I understood it both ways, uh, which it's, it still kind of speaks to it. I think this. I mean, this is a game that's going to make people want to buy your system slash your membership. Um, but it also is so big that you think you'd want as much money as you can from it, um, and obviously that'd be a huge sell. Um, so I was, I was more shocked at how definitive it was in their internal email. Obviously, none of this was supposed to be public, but. Because of how KG and tiptoeing, especially uh, the main man Phil, has been over specifically Elder Scrolls, right? They, the Starfield thing wasn't really a big deal, but Elder Scrolls this has been a huge thing. There's people like that's the game they play, right? There's there's that grandma who only played Skyrim forever. Oh yeah. Now she's gonna have to get an Xbox if you know she's still around. I don't know how old she was. If <laughs> she's still around, like that. <laughs> if she's still around by the time Elder Scrolls Six comes out, it's like she'll have to get an Xbox or a PC because yeah. it, it is what it is. Um, so though I'm shocked at the same time, I'm not shocked, but I'm like, oh, they they are going that route. Uh, which again, with the amount of money they overpaid for Bethesda, um, I I would want to make it exclusive as well. <laughs> yeah, and I think once I saw Starfield completely exclusive. I, I kind of started coming around to the idea that so would Elder Scrolls. Yeah, I mean, it just ma- it makes a ton of strategic sense, for sure. It's just, I, I'm st- I think I'm still just grappling with the idea of them voluntarily. Because they, they were the ones themselves, and obviously part of this was strategic why they did this. But they were the ones who were emphasizing how much of a lead both playstation even nintendo in many ways have over Mm -hmm. them and how they are not even close to majority market share and 
we can't move consoles and we have trouble pulling people from the PlayStation side and this and this and this. And on one hand, yeah, they say like we have all these holes in our release schedule, which we'll, we can talk about. But at the same time, it's like the, the idea that they'll be like, OK, we're we're guaranteeing that this sells a quarter of what Skyrim ever sold. Because keep in mind, Skyrim was not only uh, multiple generation releases, but it was multi-platform release. So this is going to be mm-hmm. one platform. Yeah, it'll probably get multiple release cycles knowing how Todd can be, but I don't know, man. It seems like a hard sell where it's like you're you're basically maxing out your sales at whatever because if you, you're, let's say you, you got like 20 million out in the wild, whatever number they're at right now, uh, just guaranteeing that like that entire PlayStation base never touches Elder Scrolls. I just, I don't know, man. It seems like a hard sell for me. I, like timed exclusivity, sure, but like permanent, this will never be on uh, PlayStation consoles. It's because I think, and and maybe this is just me being pessimistic, is I bet this kills Elder Scrolls before it boosts Xbox, if that makes sense. Like, I think there will be a contingent of, of people who are like, oh, fine, I love Elder Scrolls this much, I will get what I need to do to play it. But I bet more people say, oh, then I just won't play this one. Then, That's then, very true. And, and again, this is just speculation. This is, and again, I, I hope that this, if they do go the exclusive route, that this is enormously popular and, and successful for Xbox. I hope it is, but at the same time, I bet more people opt out than, than switch consoles at this point. I mean, just Microsoft themselves talked about how entrenched people are. And if, if mm-hmm. they played Elder Scrolls on the, Elder Scrolls came out, or um, Skyrim came out in 2011, so we're talking about 12 years ago. You know, we're talking all that time that they spent on at, at least mm-hmm. one ecosystem. That's assume, assuming that they didn't, you know, maybe play on PlayStation 1 and 2 as well. Mm-hmm. To, to jump now to Xbox, where you're basically going to jump to a console with, with peace and love. You'll play Elder Scrolls 6 on and nothing else because they have such issues yeah. releasing other titles. I don't know, man. I, I, I bet most people would just be like, I'll just not play that. Skip it. Mm-hmm. Or... Or PC it. They'll probably PC it before they'll, they'll Xbox it. But yeah, I don't know. Because again, it's, they said Xbox console exclusive. So it's pro- it's going to be on PC. I bet, I bet yeah, way yeah. more PlayStation people will be willing to take a look at the PC Swap side than jump PC. at the Xbox. Yep. But uh, so yeah, that's Elder Scrolls 6. Very interesting development there. But unsurprising for anybody who was paying attention. Uh, Activision was briefed on a Switch successor late last year. Yeah, I mean, the, the Switch successor talk has been floating around for a while. It's obviously an inevitability timeline-wise. Uh, the Switch came out in 2017 now, so we're six years release, uh, away from release. A lot of cycles at this point, not counting mid-generation refreshes, are around seven to eight years. So this is we're, we're already barking up against a time where release would make a lot of sense, let alone briefed on a successor existing. Obviously mm-hmm. it exists, um, but what do you think? Yeah, I mean, this is a, a, a one of those. Yeah, of course they were. Uh, yeah. as, as we've seen Xbox go on and on how they want, you know, to get Nintendo back on the Call of Duty train. You're not doing that on Switch. <laughs> Mortal Kombat One just showed us that you can. Oh my God! Yeah. Get that. Uh, let alone the whatever 150 gigs each Call of Duty game is now. So obviously having Activision, you know, be known of what the next Switch is, and we've heard it from other sources now and think we're estimating sometime next year now i think is when we're gonna maybe maybe see it who knows 
Yeah, I mean, timeline-wise, you would you would imagine it has to. Nintendo's in, a, in an interesting position where like everybody it seems like is screaming from the rooftops, like, "Hey, your your hardware is getting too old. You need to release. You need to release it. Like a new new hardware mm-hmm. now. New hardware now." Which Loki happens to them every generation, to be honest with you. But they still move units. So at the yeah. same time, like they don't need to move on our timelines. Because if their sales fell off a cliff, that's an entirely different situation. Like, if, if Switch sales completely plateaued and, you know, like, maybe they hit critical mass, and then, yeah, you, you got to go. If there was a, a thing where no major titles were coming to the title, but there is a steady stream of indies, third parties, first-party releases. So that's the, the frustrating thing about it where it's like, yeah, I think everybody can admit, like, it's time for a switch successor and mm-hmm. obviously this exists but at the same time timeline could be as open as they kind of want you know what i mean like they they could launch 2024 i think makes a ton of sense but then again if if nintendo's like oh no we're not going until what 2026 what are you gonna do about it you know what i mean like it's still selling mm-hmm. insane so um i mean if they wanted to they could do a tiny little refresh and 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 buy some more time if they'd like you know like a late mm-hmm. playstation port uh or pro type you know xbox series x type thing um mm-hmm. they could they could buy themselves some time if they really really wanted to now obviously us as gamers we want them to really do that proper next console but i think there's a lot of people who are more than happy with the existing hardware they have right now because all the discussions are related to power and to be honest if you really cared about playing a high fidelity version of mortal Kombat, do you think you're you, you think you're even on switch exclusively like yeah. to be honest with you you know what i mean like the switch plays what it needs to play and what it needs is those first party games to be mm-hmm. honest what it needs is fortnite and stardew valley minecraft those are the things that it needs and all of those things from what i understand play beautifully so it's it's a weird frustrating position to be in um, but yeah, Microsoft is planning to release, this is a big story, uh, Microsoft is planning to release updated Xbox Series X and S models next year, and we have a look at it, and it reminds me of that KFC console, actually, do you remember that? I do, I do remember that, wow. It, yeah, it was like a, a weird can sphere thing, it actually kind of reminds mm-hmm. me of this, but, um, and, and we do have visuals of it, so if you pull up the story in IGN for anybody who's listening, you can take a look at what the what we got here. And it's, it's basically just a cylindrical version of what they've done previously. It's sleek. It's clean. It kind of looks like an air purifier, low-key. Um, I have an air yep. purifier that looks exactly like this. Um, and then if you look at Elwood Project, uh, Elwood, that's the Xbox Series S refresh. It looks almost exactly the same, so no changes there. The and then the new Xbox controller. To me, the lower half of it looks a little bit slimmer, um, but everything else for the most part. Again, this is a refresh because I, th- I see a lot of people commenting about like how this looks exactly the same because um, it's a refresh. Like it's mm-hmm. it's not the next generation. <laughs> um, but yeah, these are me- what I would imagine to replace the Series X and S. And uh, if you look at some of the updated technologies, it's mostly changes to the way it deals with uh, sustainable power, rest mode, uh, Xbox, or USB-C in the front there, um, better Wi-Fi. So, you know, small quality of life improvements. Not too much that would change it to the, the end user. So there's no 
and 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 they could talk about the 4k gen 9 stuff that with the console stuff but the reality is we're still having trouble having games on xbox that really even utilize the current gen the current console's power let alone you could release another one that's more powerful which is all good and great but if the software isn't there to really utilize it, it doesn't really matter um based on what they've shown so far what did you think or not shown but leaked you know yeah, it's it's interesting. It's it's interesting how in depth these like like PowerPoint. I call them, oh, yeah. this is a PowerPoint. Somebody saw this. This was presented the way the way the way they have it. I think it's interesting that even the Series X refresh is completely digital. Um, yeah, they must have true. some sort of. Uh, and I start to think about the the games I put in the Series X were like three sixty games, really, um, which would almost eliminate that factor, which kind of sucks for people who want to go backwards without having to go rebuy the game digitally weird weird omission because you have to assume the price point unless the price point's brought down um the series that's obviously yeah it's the same yes. great price 499 so so it's 49 for uh, that's a weird one to me because you're getting less how uh, less bang for your buck there um the l with the series s refresh i mean that i just, <laughs> yeah it just looks the same um i there is something about that control though that just kind of looks interesting i just wonder they've very not much changed their control in a long time um so it's for them to go slimmer maybe me is, is a weird choice but uh, you know with the the added of um you know it's it's interesting because we, we don't know how much of this has changed but it's like rechargeable and swappable battery pack still they're doing that um it's kind of a weird thing yeah. uh <laughs> to, to do but the only interesting thing is they have on here feel the game uh point precision haptic feedback which came out in a email they sent out and we discussed it at the time where like would you guys, i don't remember what it was but microsoft came out and was like are you guys interested in haptic feedbacks um because of all the praise the dual sense was getting so yep. them sort of having that one feature their control doesn't have uh would be would be interesting so i'm interested in the control besides that i don't think this refresh especially someone like me and, and you who play so much backwards compatibility out of nowhere, you know, last year you, I think it was last year you played through all the old Assassin's Creed games. Exactly. Um, so it's, it's really weird. The bigger thing to me is that Microsoft for a while now has been saying they're not going to do a mid refresh, um, which was really interesting to me. And I saw that it wasn't really connected to this story, but for a while, Xbox has been talking about how they weren't going to do a mid-refresh. They don't think it needs it. They don't understand it. Um, so I always kind of took that as a tongue-in-cheek lie. You know, they have the Series X, but I thought the Series S for sure was going to get a boost um, because it's already starting to lag behind. You know, I know there's the big red flag in Baldur's Gate just struggling to get on and run on a Series S. Um, so more interesting to me is, once again, we've seen how... I mean, Microsoft and Phil Spencer, these are big corporate guys. Obviously, they're going to lie when they need to lie. But it's weird that they're this much ready to go. Uh, you assume this stuff is maybe pre-production, um, getting the parts and stuff. Uh, so it is weird. Very, very weird that they were just so against confirming they were going to do a mid-refresh. Or not commenting on it like Sony does. But they they have ready to go. I'm telling you, a whole PowerPoint, a whole chart showing the yeah. the differences in the systems is 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 kind of wild to me. Yeah, these graphics tell me these are locked in plans. Like they've yep. already aligned on their next strategy for these uh this 
refresh and and yeah as you kind of brought up all the major points uh very great like i i always like to have new tech so like i'm never opposed to a the idea of a mid-generation refresh like i i'm i'm not opposed to it but the problem is if you get rid of the disk drive which i'm not principally against in concept because i have my playstation doesn't have a disk drive it's, it was a hundred dollars cheaper so i'm like yeah sure mm-hmm. like whatever but at the same time, for Xbox specifically, it's a unique case because of the release schedule of it. If you get rid of the disk drive, historically, you're, we're talking about maybe 60% of the games that I've even played on this console. A majority of what I've played on my Xbox Series X have been previous era's games. Um, a lot of 360, a lot of Xbox One. So it's it becomes a tricky situation where you're basically taking that completely away and then you're reliant on the digital prices which i don't know if you've mm-hmm. looked on the storefront but we're talking a lot of them are like 20 bucks for like 360 games yep. um if you wanted to play like new vegas or something like that it's like 15 20 bucks like it's insane um and so buying the cheap discs and being able to have that backwards compatibility like it was a very important selling point for me which is why like there's many times where i've grabbed my xbox instead of my playstation especially when i wanted to go to previous generations because it's actually easier to do so and so you take that away it becomes uh, a machine that's going to get a lot less play especially for the fact that if you're asking me to fork out another 500 so this is certainly something i think for like new adoptees people who don't have xboxes yet mm-hmm. um which according to them is a majority of players i guess so yeah um, yeah you know there's a lot this is for somebody new rather than an upgrade unless you don't touch the disk drive whatsoever but for me personally also uh, it is also my 4k blu-ray player uh so when i do watch 4k blu-rays which here and there i do my mcu films and stuff like that i i do need that disk drive to some degree so i can't update to this and i don't really have any interest in the series s personally i'm also kind of interested on a point that they don't talk about is the fact that it's cylindrical if you look so without a thick like a very specifically designed adapter there's no way to have it horizontally so this is a mm. vertical only console too nobody's brought that up with the fact yeah, that if it was it was not a cube but like whatever a tower before um and i have mine on my side personally i know everybody has it a different way but it just vents on through the side basically in the back and uh I have it kind of like tucked under my TV, works perfectly, just like the PS5 is, is tucked under the TV. But this one you'd have to have standing up. So that's also interesting is I wonder if they also have data about that. Because I would imagine they have gyroscopic things in the console mm-hmm. to probably get data on that. So I wonder if a majority of players have it standing up. So they, they went with that. I'm just curious what went into the design of it. Why to go from a tower to a cylinder. Because that is a drastic aesthetic change for a console like we haven't seen that many mm-hmm. consoles completely change the shape and aesthetic of their consoles like obviously uh ps4 had the towering thing so you know less layers you know as it got more yeah. slim and yep. stuff like that um but uh for the most part it was the same form factor maybe it gets slimmer maybe it gets thinner you know all that but this one is a straight up shape change so i wonder if there's like maybe a air cooling reason why they did that that the tower mm-hmm. was maybe limiting so uh there's questions i have there but it is kind of an interesting direction that they've gone in uh next one fallout 3 and elder scrolls 4 oblivion are getting remastered makes a lot of sense i would want to know the extent of the remaster because there is more than just the visuals that kind of need to be cleaned up with these uh 
three. I, I've played both of these games within the past year. And, well, <laughs> Skyrim has never been the, like, most fluid animated, you know, game. So, Oblivion is not actually worlds be, uh, behind that. But mm-hmm. for the most part, I, I think they need a little bit more than just a visual cleanup, to be honest with you. What do, what do you think about this? Yeah, you know, it's I get it. These, these are some fan favorites. I, I just... I, I'm gonna play an old Fallout. I'll go to Fallout New Vegas. Yeah. Um, and same if I'm in an Elder Scrolls mood, I would normally go to Skyrim. And these have their charm. These have their rightful place. I think yeah, these games need way more than just a remaster. When I think remaster, you know, I think there are you know it's gonna play at whatever four K four K sixty. Let's say. Um, I don't want to see these models in four K. <laughs> They're gonna be gross. Um, so it's really weird. Again, and now if, if it's a lot of tinkering, a lot of controls, a lot of, you know, just sort of things to get them up to par, I, I understand. But we've seen company after company slap the remastered on and all they did was really port it. Um, so that, that does worry me, especially when you have a company like Bethesda and Xbox who haven't proven, proven themselves to be completely up to their word. Um, but, I mean, I'm again... That'd be nice to have a, a new version of these games, sort of to keep rolling uh, instead of just having them stuck in their in their native form. Absolutely. Um, the next one's an- another somewhat big one, but obviously makes sense timeline wise. Xbox is planning to release a next gen Xbox console in twenty twenty eight, but there is additional information to that. This that would be the tenth generation console. Um, but one document release release mentions that the Xbox system will be a next generation hybrid game platform with development test kits slated to launch in 2027. And so apparently um, we're talking about a potential consumer handheld device with cloud streaming capabilities. Mm-hmm. So it, it sounds like what some people hoped the PlayStation Portal portal was basically with uh the ability to stream directly you know cloud games onto it mm-hmm. um instead of just streaming the console as it's on it's interesting so 2028 makes ton of a ton of sense especially with the fact that again we, we just talked about the seven year de- uh, uh not dev cycle but mm-hmm. cycle of a console the life cycle of a console and th- these consoles came out in 2021 so 2028 would make it seven years in makes total sense especially with a re- uh, refresh coming out in 2024 that's pretty much right in the middle so yeah it makes a ton of sense for them to, to come out but from 2028 we're five years off now at this point um mm-hmm. th- i would imagine the information about what this console will even really look like in terms of tech is probably pretty scant at this point um we probably don't have a a good i i don't i don't think even microsoft necessarily knows exactly what the capabilities of this console will be because Mm -hmm. we don't know where the industry is going to be in five years but um this i mean this makes sense what any thoughts about this nothing shocking i think we've always sort of guessed 2020s seven eight for this next generation but again like you're saying it's so far off really that that none of these details are really uh, set in stone in the slightest these sort of cloud device you know uh the thin os type deal thing they discussed in the in in the documents i mean it's interesting yeah just for the fact that it's like how much they're they're all in on this on the clouding and everything like that we we have a few TVs that are starting to come out with Xbox uh, devices and little, like that little sort of Fire Stick TV 
thing. So them going on a, you know, let's say PlayStation Portals type device that does a little bit more than what most people want. Well, uh, most people realize the Portal doesn't do makes sense, um, especially when it's this cloud-based system. So you don't have to do too much hardware stuff. So it's all stuff that we kind of already knew and at least suspect, uh, suspected of them. But it is interesting to see. It's, it's just... All this is very interesting to see, like, written down. Because it's like they've had these hard discussions oh, yeah. of what what's going on. So it's, it's really interesting. Yeah, and I think another interesting portion of this that maybe is kind of going overlooked is the fact that with this document, which we can assume to be correct since it's directly leaked related to the lawsuit, is basically confirming that both the two major publishers, you know, PlayStation and Sony... Or not PlayStation, sorry. Uh, PlayStation and Xbox are both jumping back into the handheld market, um, which we both were hoping, not necessarily predicted, but like especially with the Steam Deck success, um, hoping that that maybe reinvigorates some of these people to reconsider their their conclusions on handheld gaming. Mm-hmm. But both have jumped back in seemingly in non traditional matters. So not neither of them seem to be interested in native processing handhelds anymore both of them see the cloud potential and the streaming potential of handheld devices so that's another thing that's kind of interesting to me um where these are like quicker options that yeah maybe to these console makers outside of nintendo nintendo is that native processing handhelds is just not a thing that is worth their time especially when they seem to be in a a power race you know Mm -hmm. um 4k ray tracing trying to get as powerful as these consoles can be obviously they always lag behind pc but and and so with the with these kind of strategy that they're going into in terms of power 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 surprisingly they don't seem interested in competing in the way that steam deck is which i think has found enormous success and found a way to be a handheld but also be powerful simultaneously with Apple going into that direction, it's interesting that both Microsoft and Sony don't see that as a viable strategy going forward. That's what's interesting to me. It mm. speaks a lot to, I guess, at least their outlook on the industry currently, where maybe what Steam Deck has done is not appealing to them. Maybe they're not impressed mm. by those numbers. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. No, that's a very, very good point. Because if I, because I feel like if. And, and obviously, Nintendo is doing what it's doing. And they've been open about the fact that both Microsoft and Sony see Nintendo as something else. Not even direct competition, necessarily. Mm-hmm. Like, they're just doing their own thing. Um, when, if, if the Steam Deck was really, truly disruptive to the industry, like an entire pipeline of gaming that was lighting the world on fire that sony and microsoft truly looked at and said we have no answer to that i think they would be moving in that direction but the fact that they're not and they're like nah we're gonna go for a cheaper streaming option to me tells them that they think there is wider adaptability in terms of a wider populace of people that would be interested in a cheaper streaming device than native processing super powerful in the handheld i I think they think and I'm not saying they're correct about this, but I think they think that the age of like, you know, back in the day where like we want the most beautiful graphics that I can ride on a bus with, you know what I mean? I think they think that those days are over and mm-hmm. that they either it's either an IP game like um, like what Nintendo's doing or it's a streaming cloud based. I don't I, I want instantaneous in my hand game, not necessarily power game. 
that's kind of interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And then I'm curious mm-hmm. to see who turns out to be correct because right now we have we have Valve and Apple going one direction and now Microsoft and Sony going the other and someone's going to be right. And so I'm just curious to see who sees better returns if that makes sense. Very true. Very true. Uh, next one is kind of something we were very aware of from the lawsuit itself, but Phil Spencer apparently really wants Microsoft to buy Nintendo. An email from August 2020 revealed that Spencer was enthusiastic about acquiring the studio behind beloved uh, video game franchises such as Mario and The Legend of Zelda, and Spencer noted in the email that the acquisition would be a career moment if it happened. Um, the thing about this story is I think it's... maybe people i don't know why people are surprised by this every studio head's gonna want to buy everything i don't of course they want nintendo i think if if sony had a serious chance at getting nintendo i think they'd take nintendo too um because i mean that ip is uh, you want to talk about ip farm is about Mm -hmm. as good as it gets but i don't think at any point that any of these documents even suggest or allude to the fact that Nintendo was even remotely interested in selling, period, let alone to Microsoft. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a, the key takeaway where I think a lot of people are getting lost in the weeds. It's like, oh, they, they want Mar- or they want Nintendo, they want Nintendo. It's like, I mean, they can want lots of things. Lots of people want, I, I want to be a millionaire. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't make me any closer to that happening. Um, yep. and, and the same deal goes with... Uh, I'm sure, yeah, Phil Spencer, that would be an immense moment. And I think if you want to talk about something that would close the gap, sure, yeah, if you had the next Zelda, the Tears of the Kingdom sequel coming out as an Xbox exclusive, sure, that would completely disrupt everything. But that isn't even remotely close to to happening. And if there was ever a point in history where maybe Nintendo was entertaining that as a possibility, maybe you would consider late Wii U years. Uh, the mm-hmm. switch has completely fixed whatever concerns that was and kind of adjusted the financials on that. So uh, any thoughts on this? Yeah, it's, it's one of the things. I saw people kind of losing their mind, and I'm like, guys, is, this is bar talk. This is, yeah, I want a Lamborghini. I want a Camaro. I want to buy a Nintendo. It's it's not, yeah, sure. Um, I, I just thought the, the wording of it was kind of funny. When you look at the email, he's like, it would be a, a career moment. And I was like, well, it's, it sounds so evil the way that was sort of phrased out. Like, Phil Spencer likes to be this cheerful guy, and he'd be like, yo, I'd be the man if I bought if I got Microsoft to buy Nintendo. Nintendo's not for sale. Again, like you said, the closest point that may have been something would have been Wii U time. Uh, the Switch has <laughs> completely changed the game where it's like, that's not going to happen. Again, yeah, of course they're going to want that. Microsoft would buy Sony if they could. Uh, it's, it, it's not... It's not this like unheard of thing to be like I would like to do this because it'd be great for us. Obviously, he's the head of it. He's gonna want to do whatever he could to do that. Any company would want to get in the game and buy the company that owns Mario, Zelda, all the IP. Um, so it just was fun. Again, it's just so nuts that it was <laughs> just that the fact that this is in the ecosystem forever now that like we know Phil Spencer said this. Yeah, I mean, and I don't think they necessarily have to shy away from that. I mean, if somebody, you know, asked them about it, like, what, do you want to buy Nintendo? They would be like, hell yeah. Like, obviously. Hey, you don't? Who you, don't? <laughs> you don't? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I bet if you if, if, there, if you look at Jim Ryan's, you know, who we'll get to, his leaked emails, I'm sure they're saying the same thing. Like, bruh, if we, if we could take it, we would. I mean, but, mm-hmm. uh, but I mean, they're not for sale. So what do you want to say? Um, 
Another one, if we skip a little bit, an email chain shows Microsoft scrambling to fill a huge gap hole in its 2022 game lineup, which let me tell you something. If there was a story I could have told you before these leaks, it was, yeah, I'm sure they were scrambling. So in May 2022, an email chain between Xbox uh, senior executives, including Spencer, Matt Booty, and Sarah Bond, revealed how Microsoft was scrambling to find games as the company had a huge hole in its lineup last year, and not just last year. Um, games originally slated to release in 2022. This is the original slate where Starfield, Redfall, Stalker 2, all delayed, were mentioned in the emails. Um, and apparently, the, the big takeaway was apparently other interesting tidbits include Microsoft's comments on Baldur's Gate 3, described as a second-run Stadia PC RPG, um, which people have been really beating them up on, which, yeah, it's a little foul. And I saw the, the statement Larian put out, which was... Or not a statement, but the, the comment where they were just like, you know, a lot of people underestimated us. Eh, sure, in retrospect, it's a bad look, no doubt. But at the same time, who saw Baldur's Gate being this successful? I don't mm-hmm. know. I mean, it's a it's a computer RPG based on D&D. Like, since when do those ever really light the, fi- the world on fire again? And again, the game, this is coming from somebody who loves Baldur's Gate, who thinks it's like... Yeah. Who can't beat it for the life of them, but I think it's a brilliant game. It's an amazingly made game. But, like, no, none of us saw this blown up. Maybe Baldur's Gate super fans did, but, um, yeah, no. So, I don't beat them up too much on that. But, yeah, very unsurprising that they were trying to fill the, the hole. But, to me, the end state... The, well, the fact is, 2023 hasn't looked amazing either. I mean, now we finally got Starfield. Redfall was a mess. Um so there's that but at the same time this tells me there's just a lot of ill planning uh Mm -hmm. uh, that holes like this and again i hate to play the console war stuff because i believe me i'm not trying to do that but sony never has these kind of holes Mm -hmm. and it's not because sony first party developers are so much more talented no it's because i think there's way more planning and everybody understands it's a it's a delicate ecosystem where people go when they're supposed to go and they give people adequate time to develop and there's just something about i think it's it's the momentum thing it's it's not a talent issue over at microsoft i think it's a momentum issue where they are out of sync with expectations release schedule and actual development cycle these things are out of sync and Mm -hmm. and this email chain just confirms it that even on an exec level they don't necessarily know how to fix that right now um and the answer isn't buying more studios because then you just have more people caught up in the out of sync cycle that they're in right now um and and you have all these studios like where is fable where is you know perfect dark all of these mm-hmm. major games that they're working on and at the same time a lot of these studios had these announcements at the same time and yeah if you have everybody working on massive projects starting at the same time they're probably not going to be able to have a nice comfortable staggered release to fill up those holes you know what i mean mm-hmm. you're going to have mm-hmm. these massive gaps especially if you were counting on one game for maybe the year and that slips, you've just lost the year. We've seen that with Halo. We've seen that now with Starfield. Um, it's just, mm-hmm. it's it's poor planning on their part, to be honest with you. What did you think about when you heard this? No, I mean, you, you summed it up great. I, we, we knew they were scrambling. You know, when you put, when they were trying to tout Redfall as this huge thing, and the way they were acting that, 
you know, again, not just 2022, but 2023. <laughs> I mean, 2022 even had bigger gaps, but look at the way they dealt with 2023. They were banking on Redfall and and Starfield. And, and those games, Starfield hit a little bit, but Redfall was yeah. nothing near that. Um, but it, it is obvious. I think it's, it's, it's crazy to think that you guys have this many studios, this many IPs, and you had nothing. You didn't have anything. Um, to the other point of them just you know, pretty much writing off Baldur's Gate. I can't blame them for that because yeah, I, I wrote off Baldur's Gate all year until a couple weeks before launch when when I really started looking what it was and and got persuaded. You know, I, I got the FOMO. I, I got that. I'll, I'll admit it. But I also really like that game, so I don't. I don't knock them for that because it's like you know, ain't nobody know that game was gonna do what it did. Um, but it, it it does show like this. It shows this problem that, and I, I don't think they really discussed. Well, again, this was in a different mindset, but it's a problem they still have. I, we don't have anything else for them the rest of this year, and we don't have anything from them looking forward. They, I think, you guys still have major gaps we still don't know what you're releasing we don't know where half your studios um it's not really a story but i think something leaked out yesterday they're like yeah the, the next gears is probably in 2026 yes. i'm like that's that's forever and it's because i think the gears team was trying to make a different game and i think we discussed it um months back that they canceled that game and was like no never mind just get get on that gears again um and that's that's terrible so you're telling me that studio now whatever they were doing was scrapped and for four years now they have to sort of go back into the gears machine um so it, it shows this problem that we know they have you know three four three is in limbo and yet they're still stuck with doing halo and they're gonna produce another halo game at some point um whether you want it or not from them um so it it shows it shows that my reaction was like you still have this problem you guys still need to figure it out so instead of scrambling you need to take a breath because we've already been years now without big hitters from you specifically um from microsoft's first party we can do it again as long as that means i'd rather not get a bunch of more red falls give you guys the second you need to breathe and then you can get back on that cadence um you know we're okay with specific delays but you delayed redfall a whole bunch for, for it to come out in the state that it did a game that still does not have its 4k patch on series x uh you know when you scrambling is is a is a nice word remember you have to remember that this is the company that had to issue stickers on their redfall cases to show that it does not play at 4k uh, or 60 frames whatever it was that that thing um, so scrambling just shows that state of mind that they're they were in last year, this year, and I think are still sort of finally maybe getting their footing. But scrambling is a nice way to put it, is how I see it. Yeah, totally. And and when I was thinking about their upcoming slate, I know um, for the rest of the year it, it's a lot of third party releases, and then from the first party, I know they have Forza Motorsport. Um, mm-hmm. That one is tricky because, and and that is kind of an, another issue. It's a whole another can of worms that I, I won't get too lost in the weeds on, which is the idea of being reliant on first party releases, which is totally fine. Everybody does it, but then making sure that those first party uh, releases have wide appeal. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, sure, like Sony has its Gran Turismo and stuff like that, um, but they're not reliant on that because they always have the Spider Man. 
for example, the the, yeah. the Ratchet and Clanks, the wide appeal games that could Horizon that could really attract large amounts of people. Um, and unfortunately, it seems that Microsoft's kind of caught in a, a weird area where they're too reliant on first parties that only fulfill these specific niches. Like Starfield's a great, you know, the, the closest they're getting to that, and that that's a good step. But like Redfall was always going to be a kind of a tougher sell because even if it was good, like it's kind of like a perpetually online vampire hunt sim. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that's that's never gonna fulfill wide-scale wide appeals and the same that's a problem with forza as well which is like i think forza is pretty damn near the best racing game every time it drops uh more so horizon than motorsport horizon. but i think yeah. motorsport is is still quite good um but yeah it, it it's that problem where like the best racing game is still never gonna light the world on fire because it's a racing game you know what i mean it, it's it's never had that wide scale appeal so that's kind of a tough position that they're in i hope they can figure something out especially for 2024 uh next one red dead redemption 2 might get a next gen update cool i mean it it, it makes sense rockstar has done a, a lot of these kind of updates they've just updated in a way it's more so actually they technically just ported red dead one um to what it was it ps4 and switch or something like mm-hmm. that so mm-hmm. they they play around with their old games here and there sometimes it makes more sense than others this game is a, an amazing game a beautiful game i would love to try it out depending on how they release it if, if it's like a paid update i probably won't give it a shot but if it's like gta the way they did that where it was the console upgrade and it looked beautiful and plays good and i'd, I'd like to try that out because that is a gorgeous game and uh it, it still looks incredible for a PS4 game. So if you can clean that up, I'll more than happy to give it a spin on my PS5. Uh, do you have any interest on this? Yeah, I mean, I've been not in the mood right now to replay something like that. But it is one of those things where it's like, I, I'm shocked that it hasn't gotten an update. You're, we're in a world where, you know, Cyberpunk got a free update. GTA's gotten multiple ports and updates excuse me witcher has gotten a next-gen update i just i which i didn't even remember that but yeah i saw the other day that witcher has a ps5 update or you know or a current next-gen update whatever you want to refer to it as so red dead redemption 2 i know is that in that talks where people are like where is it why why doesn't this have it um and red dead you know sold really well so i'm surprised they haven't done it i would assume it's gonna do again it's just sort of quality of life changes and you know there's a lot of loading if i remember in red oh, dead yeah. 2 so having some of that be sort of sped up uh would be nice so it would be something that would make me want maybe want to go through red dead again um just because of how long that game is and how bogged down it is a little bit by its it, where it was developed for for older hardware now yeah and that's another thing where it's like that game is not like a light you dip in dip out type game yeah. for me like it, it's it's a big world long heavy story it, it, if i'm gonna dive back in i i, I want the time to properly dedicate mm-hmm. to it because that's not something i i can casually kind of just like pop in and you know do a little mission here and there it's it, it's not gta in that way where mm-hmm. like it, it's just it's, it's a huge world so um i need to find some timing so we'll see about that um, the next, the last one that I have here is something that was very interesting to me that I don't, I don't see anybody even really focused on, which is the fact that the Xbox Series S accounts for seventy five percent of the series owners. So that means of between the Series X and S that were both released simultaneously, seventy five percent of the people bought the S and twenty five percent people bought the X. I did not realize 
that the ratio was that skewed towards the Series S. So apparently it's way more popular than people think it is. Um, but yeah, that's very interesting. What, what did you think about that? Yeah, it was actually, it was yeah, it was actually kind of shocked just because they never really talk numbers. They never really talk anything. And we've seen sort of almost the vocal minority complaining that the Series S isn't strong enough. But I think when you were able to capitalize on, yes, this is the next system. This is uh, releasing on par with, timing-wise at least, the PlayStation 5, uh, yeah, you know, $300 compared to the four or 500 that the PS5 had or the Xbox versions. Um, especially when you say this is going to play every next-gen game. It's going to play everything the Series X plays. You know, yeah, it's slightly different, blah, blah, blah. But if you're looking for that casual percentage of people who are like, hey, with 15 bucks a month or whatever game passes, so 10, 15 bucks a month and this cheaper $300 system, you get a year of free gaming. Um, and I think that's probably the way they really hit people with it. Spend 500 bucks on a Series X or... For that same price, you get the system. Play the same games for free on our on our catalog. Um, I did not think it was this drastic when I saw. It, I said seventy five percent. I was like, wow, that is huge. Um, just because again, they don't talk about it. They don't really mention too too much about the series S. But it's there trucking along. I guess it, it's it's in there, doing what it needs to do though. Yeah, and I think it speaks a lot about a group of gamers that I feel like there's a lot of arguments about what they're like, to be honest, because I think it's, what is an Xbox gamer, the average Xbox gamer? It's, it's yeah. hard to say, like, you know, it's meant lots of different, there are, they've been a different group every generation. Um, and this tells me that the hardcore tech adopting Xbox gamers are a lot smaller of a group than people think. And there's way more people I think that are either um, not super concerned about having that state of the eye, you know, state of the art hardware, just playing maybe Game Pass games here and there, indie stuff, and then a lot of probably companion people, like they, like having a companion console. So to a lot of people that might be the Switch, for example, and I think if you have like a Series S and like a, a PC or a Series S and a PlayStation Five, I think that is accounting for a lot of the people. So mm -hmm. I'm assuming it's the people who are like they. I just want to be able to play. All the Xbox games, the cheapest way possible. That's most people, surprisingly. Most people, I guess, in the Xbox ecosystem are not like, I want the most high-fidelity experiment or experience possible. Which makes me wonder, if PlayStation did have that same super low option, a $300 P uh, PS5, what the mm. numbers would look like on that side. Because I don't say all that to suggest that in any way that the PlayStation ecosystem is different. But you have to keep in mind the offering is completely different. You have a high-end disc-based console and a high-end discless console. And those are pretty much your choices. Yep. Or yep. stay in the last gen. Which, unlike Xbox, Xbox has the games available everywhere. So... As of right now, I think for the most part, if you haven't even upgraded to Xbox Series, period, I think you're still able to play pretty much everything. Um, I don't think there have been too many Series exclusives yet at all. So you could play for the most part everything. You can't say the same for PlayStation. Like, if you're stuck on PS4, there are things you straight up can't play yet. Not a ton, yeah. but there are big games that are starting, and it's only increasing with time. Um, Xbox has a completely different strategy. So I maybe I wonder if Xbox's strategy has at all impacted the nature of the people in their ecosystem. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. people who do care about like super high end experiences would probably just not 
gravitate towards that ecosystem and more people who are like i want to just upgrade when i feel like upgrading when it makes sense financially when there's a incentive to do so i'll do that but in the meantime people kind of just either hunker down with the console they got or buy the cheapest option possible and upgrade for the cheapest process so yeah that, it just makes me wonder like if if sony had that same you know if there was a, a ps5 ps5s or something like that yeah would there would that number be the same would it be 50 50 like i i just wonder what that looked like you know yeah it is it is interesting to think that they they, they didn't do that so it's like what would it what would the world look like if they did yeah, it is 500 is a lot thing. of money you know what i mean it is and, and it i is. think a lot of playstation fans would more than happily probably buy a cheaper option if it was available um because I know I know plenty of people who went for the disc list. They have discs, and they forgot. They just f- went did away with their PS4 collection just to save that hundred dollars. They're like, you know, oh well, I'll do it because it's a, it's a lot of money, um, and then you save where you can, and it's a tough time. So it makes me wonder, like, if you had that lowest common denominator console version. Like, I know a lot of people crap on the Series S for holding back developers, which I'm sure to some extent it does. But at the same time, obviously the consumers are loving it, and if the consumers are loving it, I think you should have an option for them at all times. Yeah, it's not a bad, it's not a bad idea. Yeah. So overall, those are all the leaks, or for the most part, all the the leaks that we we covered today. Um, it seems like the FTC is blaming Microsoft for that, uh, the leaks because, and and uh, Phil Spencer has already acknowledged it and everything like that. So these are. legit and everything like that uh overall thoughts on the leaks before we move on yeah some some interesting stuff you know we we always talk about how we would love to be a fly on the wall for some of these conversations and (laughs) we essentially did uh and then it's even more nuts is that yeah we were like well who leaked this and fgc was like yo xbox you guys did that and they had to own up to it there was no yeah well you're gonna gonna tell the courts no (laughs) They moved quick <laughs> it on wasn't, that. Wasn't me. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was us. Um, so uh, listen, they took it on the chin. Sure, some of the stuff made it. Nothing made them look terrible. Um, some of the stuff just has shown where their ideas are, and it looks like they are on a full fledged. We need to. We want to fix the Xbox brand, and they're somewhat doing the right steps for that. Yeah, I, I don't see any major PR implications to this. I think mm-hmm. the major problem is that yeah, now everybody knows their plans for the next six years five six yep. years which is certainly not ideal for marketing you know what i mean i'm sure they're yeah. going through it um but the and then then i think they're gonna take some early heat for the elder scrolls six stuff however if that doc is true which it seems like it is they were gonna get that heat inevitably anyways yep so yep. they're if anything it just kind of expedited that process so yeah like people are upset and I, th- I think, you know, exclusivity, you have the right to not like that if you're in an ecosystem and they keep doing that. It, it's fundamentally customer unfriendly at times. Um, so I understand the frustrations there. So if anything, that kind of just moved it up, not necessarily created something new. But um, it certainly did release numbers and uh, a look at their pipeline. That's probably not ideal for them, but I don't see that changing mm-hmm. their public perception dramatically any more than the ftc case did they, they did more damage to themselves in terms of uh continually telling everybody that they're small potatoes that's what did worse for their their i think general uh the way the general populace viewed them mm-hmm. rather than these leaks if that makes sense no absolutely it does absolutely it does 
Um, so we can switch gears into PlayStation also having a pretty big announcement. Um, something came out of nowhere uh, for when I saw it. Um, but Jim Ryan will be leaving the the post of head of PlayStation in March 2024. Uh, this comes obviously uh, from Alex Stedman over at IGN. Uh, Jim Ryan, who's been president and CEO of Sony Interactive Entertainment since 2019, is retiring in March 2024. Uh, the news first broke via a post on Twitter, or X, uh, from Jason Schreier's Bloomberg, Jason Schreier from Bloomberg before Sony confirmed it with their own announcement shortly after. Hiroki took to Toki will assume the interim CEO role of the CEO role starting on April first, twenty twenty four. The Sony Group corporate president, uh, president, COO, CEO, and CFO will also become the chairman of SIE starting next month to support Mr. Ryan in his transition. Additionally, Sony said uh, they will all be working closely with Sony Group Corporation and CEO Kenshiro Yoshida to navigate PlayStation's future, including the succession of the SIE CEO. In a statement today, excuse me, Ryan cited the difficulty of living in Europe while working in North America as a reason for the decision. Um, so yeah, a pretty big change in, in the game here. Uh, Jim Ryan, who's been hated, praised, and memed to, to, to all extent since 2019, really taking that that post uh, is stepping down, you know, uh, you know, citing for obviously more personal reasons. Um, but I think he's definitely probably stuck around this long f- through the whole su- success. You think since 2019 to now is really was the the launch and continued launch of the PlayStation 5. So he's, he has a lot of props. I, I know, you know, we know the memes, you know, crying Jim Ryan and, and all the <laughs> issues we people have had with him. Um, from good and bad, but all in all, I think he leaves a pretty big hole in the head of it, and I understand that everything I just stated, obviously they're looking for someone to take that replacement. I wonder where they're going to go. The heads of PlayStation sometimes are people more on the upfront, someone who knows, someone who is there, right? You, you think Jim Ryan versus Phil Spencer, and like, well, who's the next opponent is the way people are sort of seeing it. Um, but I, I really do wonder what the next sort of arc for PlayStation is um, under this new whoever gets the positions oh, future will be. Um, so uh, how did you react to uh, Jim Ryan retiring? Yeah, mixed. I have a lot of feelings about it because it's one of those things where, like, obviously Sony's not a one-man show. That mm-hmm. No company is. So naturally, no one person, I think, really fundamentally shapes the sole direction that a company goes in so there's lots i think of people to credit sony's success uh but there's no doubt that under his leadership at the very least from 2019 onwards like things have been pretty good for playstation Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like um the direct he's had some backwards views at times that you know specific that i think he was straight up wrong about you know, specifically related to crossplay and backwards compatibility, I remember being a thing mm-hmm. where, like, you know, he had some kind of goofy ideas about that. Um, but that is kind of like it was more of a strategic thing of like he had this strategy of like no one cares about it until it makes sense uh, until we are ready to do it. Basically, you know what I mean. Nobody cares about yeah. name changes until name changes are ready. Nobody cares about backwards compatibility until we have an offering for that. And so that that was just kind of his spin on it that's how he he did things but there's no denying that playstation was in pretty good shape under his tutelage so um yeah I, I'm, I'm hoping he's, he can find like a situation that works better for him the question i think on everybody's mind is what will if any the 
strategy changes will be with the with the changing of the head will somebody come on with a radical new vision and and change or will somebody just kind of continue and maintain the status quo is the question i assume we won't see any major changes for quite a while because you know as a ceo you come on and unless your company is in dire straits i don't see you making radical decisions to fundamentally change strategy and processes you know what i mean um you have the freedom mm-hmm. to do so but if you're who, whoever inherits the the ship right now is inheriting a, a ship in pretty good shape you know what i mean the first party is in good shape the console's selling well people like you for the most part um and, and things are going well and so i don't see anybody stepping in looking around and it's like nope i'm gonna change all this i, I don't see why you do I, I think maintaining course and maybe you know adding your own flavor maybe if you want to emphasize if, if if the new ceo for example is way more enthusiastic about like esports for example so there's a renewed interest in pushing in that direction or indie games or i think there's going to be small changes like that like where focus might shift a little bit depending on what the ceo feels like makes the most sense for the company but mm-hmm. i don't see a radical change so when everybody's like you know jim ryan stepping off like everything's gonna fall apart or everything's gonna be saved like I, I don't see it going in either direction to be honest with you because i don't think any one person really shapes it that like that to that extent yeah and and they're gonna leave them a game plan whoever takes that oh, yeah. role uh that's what all the ceo cfo ceo that's what their job is right is whoever gets elected whether it's from internal from alternal or external uh wherever they whoever takes that role is it's, it's obvious that you know they're gonna be trained i don't want to use the improper word to be trained and shown listen this is what's on the game plan is this something you can execute and then they're either going to succeed or not succeed but i think there's so many sony being so huge and these companies being so huge there's so many safeguards you know they know what they're going to do um so it's it it is going to be more of a you know this this next person stepping in will it's interestingly enough will probably be on maybe still on the board for PlayStation Six or whatever comes next. Um, so it is interesting to see them get in at the the groundwork, right? This is we're getting the rumblings of the next oh, yeah. generation already. So this is a, a weird time, I would say, but maybe the perfect time to maybe get someone in in there to steerhead this next sort of chapter. Yeah, I, and I mean, yeah. In terms of especially transitions when Jim Ryan came on, he came on in 2019. So we're talking two years before the PS5 anyways. Uh, So he Mm -hmm. jumped in very late PS4. Um, So he got to jump in in the the basically, you would imagine, the mid to ground level of the development of the next console. And so he got to really shape the vision for the the launch of the, the next hardware for things which is an incredibly challenging time um to to jump on i think a lot of people are like oh you jump on new new generation nice clean place to jump on yes but you're also having to control uh an entire generation refresh your your player count starts at zero again and it's easy with a series of different you know direction choices you make and bad marketing you could easily go from 360 to Xbox One. That's what happens when you have bad vision, you know what I mean, uh, in, in terms of marketing for the uh, new generation release. So I think whoever does join right now, it's actually not a terrible time. I mean, you, you get a chance mm-hmm. to get comfortable, get your footing way before you have to handle the one of the toughest things ever, which is a new generation um, jump and transition. So 
Um, best of luck to them. And, you know, it was a decent run, Jim Ryan. But uh, we'll, we'll see how the, the new person kind of set, sets in mm-hmm. and, and what direction they take. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the next one, or the last story we have, is a pretty big one. A lot of people are, are potentially concerned about, but right now we're kind of in a limbo zone with it. But uh, this is by Clara Lewis over there at GameSpot. A potential SAG after video game strike is maybe imminent. Uh, SAG after announced on Thursday that it scheduled talks with various gaming industry employers ended quickly and without an agreement being formed. The meetings which began on Tuesday, were undertaken with the goal of renegotiating terms with the current interactive media agreement, especially as it relates to pay, streaming rights, and the use of artificial intelligence. After failing to uh, reach an agreement, the following statement was posted to the union's website. SAG-AFTRA and video game employers concluded scheduled negotiations for the interactive media agreement. No deal was reached, and the current agreement will remain in effect while the parties make final efforts to uh, reach a deal. SAG-AFTRA recently voted to authorize a strike against 10 major gaming industry juggernauts with 98.32% of the union's 160,000 members. So we're not talking about a tiny tiny mm-hmm. union here. Um, members voting in favor of this strike. If the aforementioned final efforts to reach a deal fail, the strike is almost certain to come next, impacting the following entertainment companies. Activision, Blindsight, Disney, uh, Electronic Arts, or EA, Epic, Formosa, Insomniac, Take-Two, VoiceWorks, and WB. So, um, I've noticed a lot of people are like, oh, strike is happening. Not necessarily. Strikes happen when you can't reach a deal. They're trying to reach a deal, but if the deal doesn't come, here comes a strike. Um, And basically, anybody who's paid close attention to, especially outside of gaming, you know, with the, the movie sector and writers and actors... And anybody who's paid it, watched this show and knows what's been happening in the game industry with the mm-hmm. attempts to unionize and and that's unionize the developers, let alone the writers and actors who are already unionized. Um, and the fact that we know royalty splits have been not good and writers have been pretty mistreated pretty bad and um, actors have been pr- treated pretty bad and there's been issues back and forth. Uh, between these industries and, and these corporate juggernauts have been going through it for quite a while. Um, this doesn't surprise me whatsoever. And what's interesting is I don't think people understand the scale at which this is kind of a unified effort. We're talking 98.32% of the union's 160,000 men members. So we're talking about every actor, basically, every writer, basically saying, yeah, like we need to take a look at this industry, which tells me they need to take a look at this industry. If, if everybody's on the same page about this, um, yep. that means something needs to change one way or another. Whether you agree with the the direction or strategy that they're taking, if you have that much of a unified approach, that tells me that the pricing model that's been established or the pay model that's been established mm-hmm. historically is not sustainable. Whether you like it or not, um, that needs to be renegotiated. Thoughts on this? No, yeah, it's it's, it's um, pretty interesting. It's uh, not interesting in the sense that it's like I'm super into it, but it's like I understand with what's going on in the movie world with, um, I don't know about the time when this article was written, you know, the, the writers part of, uh, the Writers Guild of America has ended their strike and come to a, a, a tentative agreement. It's like, well, that stuff's, I said there's a lot of similarities between, you know, writing for what these movies and shows are doing, the writing that, goes on in these games the the productions of these two things 
shooting a movie and making a game are similar, very similar, if you think about the way we've done voice acting to mocap and all that stuff. It's, like, very similar. Um, and, again, we had a strike, not I think it was 2016, and then it says it later on in the GameSpot article, so definitely read the last two statements they talk about the previous one yeah. and that it lasted uh, pretty decently and, and it affected people in a way. Um, it was something I didn't very even knew, actually, um, about how the Life is Strange uh, prequel doesn't even use the same voice actor because of because of what happened but it's 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 interesting that and i don't i don't think if if there is a full-on strike i don't think it'll be lasting as long because it's obviously they're trying to get to a point prior to um where almost when you look at what happened with sag after in the movie industry was almost overnight where it's like all this stuff sort of fell apart and i think because of that is why they're taking it so much more care right now in yeah. this industry um and i think it's an obvious thing so I, I hopefully they come to the agreement right these people are doing a job for a certain amount they're part of a union which is the biggest thing i um, mean and, and you don't want to start getting to that point where games get moved and there's like weird decisions because of that because you're affecting everyone's product and stuff people want to be proud of but at the same time people who put in that hard work want to get paid what they should and that's yeah. the big that's what this is about uh specifically so they have my support for sure yeah and and for me it, it's like a math thing really like it's kind of like a perfect storm that is it's an inevitability when you have an industry that generates let's say this huge amount of money, let's say, you know, billions per year it generates. And a uh, uh, an agreed upon and acceptable portion of that profit is not making it to the creative people who are generating said thing. We already know, we're talking about the, the actors here and the writers specifically. We're not even mentioning the fact that the developers and, and what they're going through, and unfortunately they're not mm -hmm. unionized, so this may happen this is likely going to eventually happen again with the developers i'm sure yep. um but they're not getting their proportional portion of that profit and then on top of that you have the changing landscape of the changes in technology and release strategies and so historically for example i and, and i could speak a little bit about the music industry um there was a huge issue where the a lot of artists would make back-end money or royalties on physical uh, physical sales. And I would imagine there's a similar pay structure in the game industry for someone as a part of that development cycle. But what happens when you transition, as many studios have been, to a streaming model? Well, then naturally your contracts would have to be amended or renegotiated to uh, account for that those major industry shifts and in this case we're talking a lot about ai specifically um and what that does to voice actors which can effectively put you out a job immediately um and so it's one of those situations where it's like if the the, the actors already feel like they're probably not getting their fair cut and their fair shake and now you're going to introduce a tech that's going to take me out of a job Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I think it's an end. We already know you're generating this amount of profits and you're trying to maximize that even more by forcing me out. It doesn't surprise me necessarily that this will happen and I think it's going to happen again. And I think there's going to be a conflict every time there are, if there are major industry shifts, there has to be major contractual shifts at the same time or this is going to happen every time. Um, and, and that is just me paying attention to music and then seeing it happen in movies and now seeing it happen in games. Like this is, 
and and I would imagine this is, might happen in comics too eventually. Same deal, same release structure, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. where because you know just like AI voice acting is a concern, AI script writing is also a very big concern. So huge um, concern. Yeah. So like these are things that for anybody who's an ed consumer, I under I totally understand why people can maybe be a little frustrated. It's like, listen, I just want the product, but I also think you need to take into effect that like humans are generating this and they want to you know pay their bills and take care of their families like everybody else and that we need to be conscientious of the fact that like things are moving quick and it's important that the financial structures of said industries move with it or all of this collapses because i think when it's all said and done if one dude keeps profiting more and more and more with the technology and now suddenly people you, you want to talk about projects being held up. Mm-hmm. What about when actors can't afford to be actors anymore, so they stop being actors? Mm-hmm. That, what, you're going to be relying on just AI? Well, if you think things are stale now, let me tell you about, about robot-generated scripts and music and, and games. So I, I think people should just be a little bit more conscientious about the fact that there is a human component to it. And so we need to like take care of the actual creatives because, like it or not, these execs are not generating product. They generate... Mm-hmm. They... they divvy up profits but they're not generating products so it's important for us as game fans specifically you know talking on a gaming podcast to support those who are fundamental in the actual creation of games not the people who own the ips who own the tech but rather the people who are fundamental to generating the tech because if we don't have the creators we don't got anything you know what i mean Mm -hmm, absolutely so that's the last story we have great uh stuff coming i'm very excited because the next show we do will spider-man be out by that time i know assassin's creed mirage is right around the corner i know yeah. spider-man 2 is right around the corner so we have some bangers coming and i'm very very excited yeah. about that super mario wonders is the same day as spider-man oh, 2 <laughs> i can't wait for wonder wonder looks so good everybody's joking on Spider-Man. it there's an ele- yeah, everybody's joking about the elephant, but it, yeah, that game's gonna be fun as hell. That's gonna be a nice combo. I love, I love a good, and I'm so sorry, Xbox. I love a good Sony first party combo and a Nintendo first party combo, and the Nintendo being kind of like my palate cleanser before I go to bed type thing. I yeah, love it, that combo. It's 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 a it's it's been a while since we've had a broke October, as I always like to say. We have yeah. Assassin's Creed this week. Um, then right before Mario, we have uh, Sonic Superstars, which I'm excited for. Um, then you got yeah. Spider-Man, Mario uh, on the same day. Alan Wake two later in the month, and then you have Xbox releasing nothing, so it's okay. Xbox, please. But yeah, no, October is <laughs> gonna be insane, and it's not exactly the same, but it, it gives me the same vibe of. You remember that Doom Animal Crossing combo? I love it. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it's like the gaming version of Barbenheimer, and I know. <laughs> yeah, I know yeah. that like spider-man's not like a heavy game or anything like that but it, that's gonna be like my main focus and then we can have on the side like mario wonder i love when they do that and and obviously they don't sync it up on purpose but they obviously look at the metrics and nintendo knows that like eh, i don't think we're we're losing sales by dealing with we're talking two exclusives here so it's yeah. they're not multi-plats so they don't have to worry about exactly. cannibalizing each other yep. um yeah i'm just very very psyched about that and my bank account is not whatsoever for, for real. <laughs> but this has been the New Vintage Podcast. I'm Jabril, and I'm here with... Steve, hope you guys all enjoyed. And we'll see you guys in the next episode.